Heavenly Father, we come before you on this holiday weekend, Lord, a time that we as a nation celebrate the freedom that you have granted us over 200 years now. Lord, we ask that you would take each part of this service and let us realize and understand that any freedom that we truly have and enjoy, it, it's not a gift of the government, it's a gift from you and your word. Lord, we ask that you would bless our time here together. If there be anyone that is assembled with us this morning that does not know you as their Savior, that today, that this time of the preaching and the singing would at least draw them closer to you. Lord, we pray for that day when they would truly be saved. Lord, we also pray that you would work in the heart and life of each saved person here today, that you would draw us closer, that you would give us answers that we need, that you would help us to simply serve and love you, that our worship here this morning would affect the way we live through this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. After the service, there's a display out in the lobby. And uh, you can get some of this good music to uh, take home with you. Uh, encourage you to fill your life with good music. Children, uh, we'll have you dismissed to the Children's Church and Tyler's Churches at this time. And, and the workers, the rest of us, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 37. And we're going to be going through many chapters. I do know this is the 4th of July weekend. And uh, normally uh, we would uh, have a, a message that deals with independence and freedom and those things. But uh, we're also in, in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, on the Beatitudes. And, of course, have been... Uh, preaching through the Beatitudes a little differently than, than I've ever done in, in the past, and that is not spending our, our main time in the text, but in other parts of the Bible that seem to illustrate that. And uh, we'll have uh, our, our chance to speak about that uh, tomorrow at the church picnic. We start at 2 o'clock. We invite you to come. Uh, we'll have the meet. And the drinks here, all you need to do is bring the sides. So uh, if you like potato salad, macaroni salad, uh, potato chips, cookies, all of the above, bring them. And uh, we'll have some uh, grilled, uh, I believe our, our, we've got hot dogs, and uh, also we're going to have marinated uh, boneless pork chops on the grill. So it's going Brother Dave said, if uh, you don't mind, I'll cook. And I said, we never mind when he cooks. And, and so uh, if you want something good, make sure you're here. And uh, we'll enjoy that time uh, tomorrow afternoon. And uh, what, what we're going to do this morning is I need you to stick with me because we're going to go through the life of Joseph today. And uh, when we're all done... Then we're going to tie in to uh, the Beatitudes and, and uh, try to finish, actually finish that series, getting the last two, number seven and eight. Uh, so I, I need you to follow real close or, or you, you'll miss our, our connection. And again, 
one of the ongoing themes of this year is the just shall live by, what's that next word? His faith. Amen. Out of Habakkuk. Because faith has to be personal. Your mother's faith will not help you. Your father, brother, sister, it's got to be a personal faith. Yes, we can encourage one another. But that faith must belong to you to get you into heaven. Amen. And where do we get faith? Faith cometh by and hearing by the word of God. And so, uh, if, if you want a title to the series here, it's Faith in the Beatitudes. Every one of those Beatitudes deals with faith and how it's lived out. And, and we're going to just go through the life of Joseph. So keep that in mind as we look through the life of Joseph and see if you can't pick out the Beatitudes in the points that, that we bring through so that when we get to the end and tie this together... Uh, We'll still all be on the same page. And so we see in verse 37, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, that was Isaac, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah. And the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now, how many of you like a tattletale? I mean, somebody that's going to tell the bad things that you've done. Do you want me to tell you how to solve the issue of a tattletale? Don't give them anything to tattle on. Amen? Uh, I've known people that have held it as a great honor never to report someone else's evil deeds. Uh, I don't know how honorable that necessarily is. Now, it is dishonorable to lay traps for people and try to get them to do wrong things so you have something to report. But let me ask you a question. If you had a problem in your life, if there was an area where, where you were just falling short and someone brought you the help that you needed to get to victory, that's not being a tattletale now, is it? You see, sometimes we let things go unchecked. Because we think it's honorable not to tell someone else about their problems. Uh, That's not the way it works in Christianity, my friend. That's one of the purposes of the church. Is so that somebody will see you. So that you can get it straightened out. So that you don't get in problems with the world. And ultimately with God himself. We, we forget that the person that we should be most concerned with is God. And he sees and knows everything. But sometimes it seems like God is just quiet. How many of you ever started out a situation where you felt like you were getting away with it? But you weren't, were you? 
And I've, I've heard sermons preached on how Joseph was a snotty-nosed little brat and a tattletale and all of those things. I, I don't believe that about Joseph because the rest of his life does not bear that out. You see, Joseph was the favorite son of his father, Jacob, for one specific reason. Joseph obeyed his father. Joseph was doing the things that were right, even though his brothers weren't. And his eldest brother, who should have been the leader of the family, had failed miserably, and we won't go into the sore details of Reuben's life, But Joseph was the firstborn of his second wife, and so rightfully Jacob would have made him the heir. Some people think that uh, Jacob just picked Joseph out of the group and said, he's the best one I'll make. No, he was the eldest son uh, of, of the second wife, and so he rightfully should have had that place, that position uh, of leadership in the family, and he had the character to back it up. And, and and Jacob made him a coat of many colors. And uh, there's a lot of things that uh, have been said, but this simply was a garment that designated him as the leader of the family. Now, how many of you have a younger brother or sister? And how many of you have done something to make sure that that younger brother and sister was not in charge of anything you were involved with. Now, everybody raise their hands again. Yeah, because that is human nature, is it not? And that's why Joseph's brothers didn't like him. Not only was he younger and yet more in control than they were, he was doing right and they were doing wrong. If you really want to upset somebody that's doing wrong, just do right. And keep doing right. You want me to tell you why the homosexual crowd is so angry at people that believe the Bible? It's because we still say they are doing evil in the sight of God. Because the Bible says so, not us. And that's what angers them. And there can be no peace with that kind of thing. And Joseph had no peace with his brothers. And they could not even speak peaceably unto him. Joseph then had dreams that God had given him, that his brothers would bow down before him, and even his mother and father would, would do homage to him, that he would be the exalted one of his family. And Joseph uh, told people about it. That didn't go over very well. Not even with his father, he said, Shall I bow down unto thee? I, I'm your father. And yet, if we know anything about the life of Joseph, we know that those dreams did come true. And that Jacob himself, before he died, bowed himself on the bed. Because his son Joseph, of all the characters in the New Testament, of all of the lives that we have recorded in the Bible... Joseph was most like the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that we have not one sin recorded of the life of Joseph? That doesn't mean that he was perfect. No. 
The Bible says we all have sinned. So we know that Joseph had his shortcomings, but not one of those stories was recorded in the Bible. That's an amazing thing, is it not? And so as we begin this story of the life of, uh, of Joseph, I want you to understand that Joseph was the lead son of one of the richest men in the whole land of Canaan. How many of you remember back the story of Abraham when Lot was taken captive with the inhabitants of Sodom? Abraham called on his friend Heber, uh, uh, who was actually one of the fathers of the Philistine people. They were confederate with him, and Abraham raised his own army to defeat the armies that had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, arguably the largest and most powerful cities in the whole area. Isaac made a peace treaty with the Philistines because Isaac's house and his, his family was so strong and so powerful that they were treated as a nation by the Philistine people. This is an amazing thing. I mean, and here's Joseph. He is what we would call the heir apparent of this entire empire that was that belonged to Jacob. You talk about somebody that had everything this world has to offer. He had it. And most of all, he had the character to use it rightly because he had a relationship with God. And he understood that the blessings that were on Jacob and the family were given to them by God and that he needed to take care of those things and honor those things. And the greatest way to honor what God has given you is by doing right, by being obedient, by living righteously. Can we say amen to that? Now, how many of you know what happened next? If you're here in Sunday school, we've been through this. A lot of times over the years. That's the reason we go through those stories. Joseph lost everything, didn't he? He was sold as a slave by his own brothers. Now, you have to understand something, this idea of being sold as a slave. How many of you have called your boss at work a slave driver? Andrew, you better not raise your hand. Uh... He's not even in here right now. I think he's dead. Oh, there he is. I see him. But how many of you have thought about, man, I feel like a slave at work. Let me tell you something. You don't understand slavery. That's not what it was. It was ownership. You had no rights. You had no nothing. He was stripped of his coat. He was bound And he was dragged into the land of Egypt and he was sold as you would an old pair of used shoes to the highest bidder. He was bought by a man named Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard. Now, this idea of slavery meant that if Joseph didn't do exactly as he was told, he would be beaten 
And they really didn't care about the well-being. There was no kindness. You were treated as an animal. Now, how would you like to be, go from the heir apparent to one of the most powerful families, uh, a, a state within a state, to being treated like you would a work animal? You see, let me make my first connection so that you can follow me through this. How many of you already made the connection, blessed are the poor in spirit? You see, the word poor means that you cannot obtain that which you need. Joseph lost everything. The greatest thing he lost was not only his freedom, but his future. You know what they did to slaves that escaped? If they didn't kill you, they maimed you for life. Usually by cutting off a foot or a hand so that you could not escape ever again. Everything that Joseph knew was gone, except God. Now, how many of you would trust God in a situation like this? You see, that's what it means to be poor in spirit, is to be able to trust God with nothing and with the ability to get nothing. Uh, there, there is no hope at all. But let's look at chapter 39. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the garden, Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him and made him overseer over his house. And all that he had, he put into his hand. Now, Joseph was 17 years old when he sold as a slave. And Joseph served his master. Then he got lied about, and he served in prison until everything that the prison keeper did was under Joseph's charge. And we're going to skip ahead a little bit to pick this one point up. And Pharaoh put two of his servants, a baker and a butler, in prison, and Joseph took care of them. And Joseph told the... Um, the, the, the butler to remember me because I'm in here unjustly. There's no reason for me to be in prison. Could we make a connection there to mourning? You know, Joseph wasn't just going, I thank God for being a slave every day. He said, I'm going to trust God in spite of the fact of my slavery. And I'm 
are going to allow myself to be upset about the turn of events in my life, to mourn them. You know, sometimes we lie to ourselves and we try to pretend we're happy about things that we're sad about. And all we uh, uh, happens when we do that is the worst thing that happens is we believe our own lies. It says, blessed are they that mourn. You know, there's some things in your life that you ought to be upset about. And I am sure one of the things that hurt Joseph that he was... And see, mourning, let me finish this, mourning is not something that you work on. It's something that comes out of you. It's already in there. That's a huge difference. A lot of people, they, they want to work up this emotion. If you have to work it up, it's not mourning. Do you think Joseph mourned for the wickedness of his brothers? And the fact that they turned their back on God to the point that they would sell him. You know who the brothers were really hurting? Themselves? And do you think Joseph mourned for what he knew that his father was going through? I mean, Joseph was an astute young man. He knew the attachment that his father had for him. And that separation was only going to bring great sorrow. And the Bible records that. I, I believe Joseph knew about that. And, and, and he was praying, God, I, I pray that you'll someday work this thing out so that the pain and suffering that my father is going through can be alleviated. And, and the wrong and the evil that's eating the souls of my brothers can be assuaged. You see, we get upset about all the wrong things. That's why God doesn't bless our mourning. But I believe Joseph mourned for the right reasons. And this whole thing of meekness. Joseph knew what slaves were supposed to do. You see, meekness is operating under the authority and at the direction of another. That's something you have to learn. And Joseph had to swallow his pride, his position, his life, his future, everything... And trust that God, who had rendered him utterly poor in spirit, was still in charge. He would be in prison and as a slave for 13 years. How many of you remember when you were 17? Now I want you to, how many are you old enough to remember when you turned 30? Take those years, 17 to 30, out of your life and what do you have? Let me tell you, the most important things of your life normally happen in those years. That is when the course of your life is set. And here's Joseph. As a slave, all of those years. And yet he trusted God and he followed God's direction.
And yet, as he was serving in the prison, and this is one of the things that just astounds me every time I read this story. He walks in, and the baker and the butler are there in prison, and they're upset. Now, if you were Joseph, would you even notice that anyone else was upset when you had all of these things happen in your own life? Wednesday night, I preached for Brother Palman in Annsville, uh, Peekskill, New York. He's taking the kids to camp this past week. And uh, he had on his sign, a man wrapped up in himself makes a very small package. I said, wow, that's, that's pretty good. We, we ought to try some of those things on the sign out front, maybe. Uh, but nobody reads them. They don't even read the service time. So we'll, ju- we'll just keep things going uh, as we can. But there's a lot of truth in that little statement in there. And that's where most of us find ourselves. You know what? If you're meek, you're not wrapped up in yourself. You're wrapped up in following God. And that's where the blessing comes from. And that meekness, that learning to follow and obey God no matter what, brings the next beatitude in your life if you'll let it. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Joseph was so meek that he was able to recognize the suffering of others. And do you remember what they were upset about? They were upset because they dreamed a dream and nobody was there to interpret it. Now, I'll tell you, if if I were Joseph about that time, I think I'd have said to those guys, now listen, You're upset that nobody's here to interpret your stupid dream. He said, you want to be upset about something? Let me tell you a story. And he could have told him his own story. How many people identify with that attitude? Can I I tell you that that's wholly unscriptural? And that it cuts off God's blessings from our lives because we're looking to ourselves instead of to God? That, that Joseph hungered and thirsted after righteousness. He had enough character to care for those prisoners and to pray for them and, and to ask God to give him the interpretation of their dreams since they couldn't call upon any of the local soothsayers, interpreters, witch doctors, tarot card readers, all in the same category. Uh, and, and so... Joseph cared enough about them to pray. And this is where he told the butler, who was promised restoration as the baker was promised death. He said, when you go before Pharaoh and reinstated to your position, would you you put a word in about me and my situation that I could be set free from this prison because I do not deserve to be here? And what does the Bible tell us? But he forgot him. He forgot another two whole years. How many of you are ready to allow yourself to get bitter now? 
You know, that's what the book of Hebrews means when it says, Beware the root of bitterness that's springing up. It says, Many are defiled thereby. I, I want to tell you that the key to bitterness, to keeping it out of your life and from destroying you, is the Beatitudes. Is understanding. This is the summary of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the preamble, we might say, to the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. And all of a sudden, a call came from Pharaoh's house. And Joseph was brought in before Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh had a dream that he couldn't interpret. And you'll notice something here in your Bible. Verse 14 of chapter 41, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. Now that's kind of interesting, isn't it? The Pharaoh's officers came down to the prison and they said, Joseph, you're to go before Pharaoh. And they brought him out hastily and he took time to shave. And the Bible records that. You know why? How many of you remember the pictures of the Egyptians? No hair, no hair. Sometimes they have a little ponytail in the back. But, I mean, they they were bald people. That wasn't because they didn't have hair. It's because they didn't believe. They believed that Egyptian culture was... Not just shave, but shiny. Uh, that's why Yul Brenner made such a great Pharaoh, right? Uh, he, he had it naturally. But uh, the, the whole thing was, you got to get this. Joseph cared about the cultural issues of the Egyptians. You know what the American way is? I am what I am and I'm coming that way and I'm not changing for anybody. Isn't that true? We had a guy out here a couple years ago. And uh, we've made this statement. um, I've made this statement many times over the years. This is our church policy. We do not have dress code here. Do not let your clothes stop you from attending church. But I will suggest this. If you want to honor God the best way you can, you wear the best that you have to come to church. Amen? And uh, there's a biker dude sitting in the church somewhere. And he heard me say that. And he said, if my biker clothes aren't good enough for your church, I'm never coming back. I said, that's not what I said, sir. But you see, your biker clothes identify you 
with things that are absolutely unholy and against the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't they? Hello? Can you just go like this if you're hearing? That that kind of clothing identifies you with the liquor swiggling, the the drug using, the thievery, the all of the things that go along with the biker thing. Why would you want to call yourself a Christian and dress that way? I got I got a problem with that. I'm sorry. We we have to understand that we're here to worship God. Joseph understood that. Hebrews pride themselves even to this generation on their long, full beards. In fact, the law said, uh, God put a provision in the law that you weren't allowed to shape your beard, that it had to grow naturally. You couldn't cut the corners off of it and, and make it look interesting. You were supposed to just let that beard grow. And, and I'm sure that Joseph was, was part of that tradition long before it was encoded in the law of God. And Joseph was very careful to not offend at Pharaoh needlessly. Do you know what we call that? We call that mercy, don't we? You see, Joseph had something that Pharaoh needed. You know what happens when we have something that someone else needs? Well, how much are you going to give me for it? Hello? Isn't that what we do? Isn't that what eBay's all about? I mean, honestly and truly, Joseph was now in the position of power. He could have said, Hey, Pharaoh... If you want me to come and interpret your dreams, I get set free and sent back to, to my father's house. That, that's condition number one. But that wasn't Joseph. You see, he was poor in spirit. He was not making his own decisions. God was. He wasn't necessarily just burbling over with joy. He had sorrow in his heart. He had mourned for the wickedness of his brothers, the sorrow of his fathers. His own circumstances, I'm sure, brought some sadness to his heart. But he trusted God enough to keep obeying Him no matter what. Meekness. And he realized that that meekness had to grow, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And now he had a chance to show Pharaoh mercy in interpreting his dreams. And he did. And about eight years later, someone else shows up in Egypt looking for food. Guess who that is? His brothers. You know, I've always wondered about this, these little things that Joseph did to his brothers, treating them roughly, putting Simeon in jail, uh, uh, finally putting the cup in Benjamin's sack and bringing them all back. And it, 
really was putting this sermon together for today that, that brought some light in my own mind to that thing. You see, mercy is given by the victor to the defeated. Isn't that right? Joseph had to make sure that his brothers were defeated before he could show them mercy. Amen? See, that's one of our problems is we want to show mercy to the wicked while they're still entrenched in their wickedness. That's why America hasn't won a war since World War II. It's because we show mercy to our enemies before they're defeated. And that just emboldens them. That's why the criminal system of the United States does not work anymore. It's because the judge's first job is to give mercy to people and keep people out of jail who desperately deserve to be put in it. And they, only, they say, well, we put them in jail, they become better criminals. We put them back out on the street, and what do they do? Excuse me. There's some real stupid in this whole thing. Because the answer is in teaching them the Ten Commandments while they're still in school instead of teaching them that it's okay to be have two mommies and two daddies instead of God's family plan. I read an article and I was going through the Apple News and just saw an article there. It says, the, the homosexual crowd is targeting your children. I said, finally, somebody wrote something honest about this. And they're saying the people who are targeting the children today, whether they know it or not, were indoctrinated by these people when they were kids. We're now second and third generation into this foolishness, this evil that's in our society. Joseph had to make sure that if he was going to show mercy to his brothers, that they would be in a position to receive it. And by the time Benjamin's, the cup was found in Benjamin's sack, guess what? They were defeated. They, they said, we all be thy servants. In fact, it was Simeon, one of the cruelest of the group, that came before Joseph and fell on his face and, and said, please. It was Judah, actually, who said, I became a surety for the lad. Take me. And send the little send Benjamin home, and that's when Joseph knew, and he could no longer refrain, and he wept. By the way, that wasn't an Egyptian thing either. But the Bible's full of weeping. If you, it, it's okay for men to cry if you cry for the right reasons. If you cry because somebody scratched your car on you. Get over it. Grow up. But I would to God that we would have some men in this church that would be able to cry over the wickedness of this nation. Because that will bring God's blessings. Joseph gave his brothers mercy because they were able now to receive it. 
They were poor. They were at his mercy. They, all Joseph would have had to do is say, off with their heads, and every one of them would have been gone from the pages of history. But you see, Joseph was living the Beatitudes. What is the next one? Let's go to Genesis chapter 50. Wow, we've got to hurry here. After, Joseph, after Jacob's death, they sent to Joseph... Look at verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. Skip down to verse 19. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring it to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Does that sound like blessed are the pure in heart? Because Joseph kept his heart in obedience to God, even though now he was in the power position. You see, that's what makes mercy work. You know why the world is so afraid of receiving mercy? Because they know the kind of mercy they would give to someone else. All manipulation. All enslavement. That's not mercy. Mercy is freedom. Within limits. Amen? Joseph kept his heart pure. Now we come to the last. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Can I ask you a question? Was Joseph a peacemaker? You see, he made peace between he and his brethren that hated him. Joseph even helped his father find peace between his father and God for the circumstances in Joseph's life that he knew nothing about. Amen? you got to think about that one a little bit. Joseph brought peace between the house of Jacob and the land of Egypt. In fact, it wasn't until a Pharaoh arose that knew not Joseph that there was persecution, which is the last of the Beatitudes. Blessed are they when men shall revile you and persecute you and speak all manner of evil against you. I want, to, I want you to understand that when you finally win the battle and show mercy and stay pure in heart and make peace, that there is going to be persecution that arises because the world has no answer for the love of God except to kill the messenger. You want to know why Islam hates people who believe the Bible so much? Because they can't shut them up. You know why the homosexual crowd hates people who believe this book so much and do so many things against it? Because they can't get us to say that what they're doing is good. This book forbids it. 
And so there will be persecution. But let me tell you, here's what the Bible said, blessed are they. So very few of us have ever suffered for righteousness. Most of the time when we get in trouble, it's because of something dumb that we did. How many would say, oh me, yes sir. That's where we are. How about getting in trouble for doing right for a change? What a radical idea. You really want to torque them off. Put yourself in the point to where they have to say something against you because you're righteous. Only two people in the Bible ever had that in the Old Testament. That was Joseph and Daniel. They suffered because they were righteous. That'd be a pretty good company to be named in now, wouldn't it? In fact, if you spent your whole life asking God to move you into that company, I think it would be a life well spent. You see, Joseph lived the Beatitudes, and that's how we're supposed to live. I I hate to say it, and I don't know how else to say this. Most of us will never get there because we don't care enough about God's Word to go through what needs to be needs to happen in our life to bring us to that point. Something wrong with that kind of Christianity, my friend. Those beatitudes are the pathways to God's blessings. You want to be a member of his kingdom. That's that's the path you need to walk. You can't get saved until you're poor in spirit. Do you realize salvation is something you cannot earn, get? You do not deserve, no matter how good you are. Once you get on that pathway, if you've ever had the experience that Joseph did in being able to extend meekness to a defeated foe, And restore that relationship to the way it ought to be. You know so little of the blessings of God. Listen. They're out there. God is no respecter of persons. There's not a one of us sitting in this room. That he does not want to bless the way he blessed Joseph. Tell you what, I love my country. But if you want to love this country, what you need to do is start walking by faith the Beatitudes. It's the only hope. Second Chronicles did not say, if the people, it said, if my people. That's people here in this church. I've heard people for ever since... I was just a little child. I would, I'm praying for revival. I want God to bring revival like He did in the days of Finney, like He did in this and did in that. And what they're looking for is the phenomena. I'm not interested in phenomena. I'm sorry. I want to see God change lives.
one of the greatest revivals in the history of mankind happened in this nation from the years of its founding right after the Constitution up until about the Civil War. I'll tell you, you study the history, it was an amazing thing. Just a handful of churches and this whole nation before the Civil War could rightly be called a Baptist nation. That lasted up until the 1950s, over 100 years, nearly 100 years. And we lost that because we started listening to the world. Want it back? Stop worrying about the person beside you and you start walking by faith in the steps of the Beatitudes. God is still capable of turning this thing around. And all God's people say, let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you this morning. We ask now that you would work in hearts. Lord, we're assembled here together as a church, but we're also assembled here together as a group of individuals. And Lord, each one of us has specific faith needs. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would give us the honesty and integrity to bring those needs before you in prayer. During this time of invitation, that we would surrender to you that which is yours, that we may leave this place with a heart to serve you. We ask you to work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together the hymn of invitation. Jesus paid it all. And if you need to come and pray, the altar's open. If you're here and you're not sure about your salvation...